0: Oh hell. Yeah. Everybody to the SAG, your it podcast, and uh, we've got uh, Dave here. He's up in at home in Buffalo. Anyway, I but, am. Yeah. yeah. So, how's it up there in Buffalo?
1: You know, it is great. It's, it's kind of a warmer day, but it's not as hot as it was last summer at this time. So, you know, I'm here in the office and it's great. I'm in my comfortable chair and glad to be here. All positive things as far as yeah. that goes. Having a good day. Having fun. Got to do some good reading and some good study, and uh, you know it's it's a Monday, and generally those days I kind of uh, kind of check out of doing some of my pastoral stuff, uh, and and by that I mean it's not that I'm not doing pastoral stuff; it's just that I uh, am doing uh, pastoral stuff in a in a slightly different way. Uh, I am kind of getting myself my rest, and so yeah, that's generally how my Mondays go. Uh, yeah, I find that if I don't take Monday kind of away from doing, uh, my pastoral role, then I don't really get a day off. So yeah. I've heard people say bad things like other things about that. But for me, that's kind of what works the best anyways. So yeah. So that's, that's kind of my deal. Mondays. And, um, yeah, yeah. Thanks for here. letting me, um, thanks for letting me do the, uh, show, you know, with you Oh no, uh, this is a little good. early and, uh, yeah. And that's a, uh, that's a good, good thing. And, so yeah, um, that's
0: right, everybody, you know, I'm we're, we're here at 5 that. o'clock um, instead of our normal 6 o'clock, because Dave had some stuff to do, and that's the cool thing about podcasting and live casting, we can do this all over the internet and have that kind of have that kind of thing going. So that's the uh, blessing and the beauty um, in God's creation and technology that uh, we get to build and uh, use to the glory of God. So anyway... Um, Today, we're, um, had another, uh, sup what's up episode. So, uh, we've jammed, uh, I guess, uh, really four. This is our fourth pre sup what's up episode in a few weeks, isn't it, Dave?
1: Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. And, uh, that's, that's going to be a, a cool, cool deal. I'm, uh, glad that we're able to get a, another pre sup what's up in. Um, that's kind of the way we've been, um, rolling here this summer for the most part, isn't it? Just, yeah. uh, doing our, uh, yeah, doing our, um, doing our, our pre what's up, uh, all the while, uh, we are kicking along our summer working, uh, and Mm -hmm. so it's gone pretty well, so, yeah, sorry, I'm just a little bit distracted, because I accidentally set my, uh, My watch party up in the wrong way, so yikes! Yeah, so no one will get to watch it if if that's the way that I do it. So, but anyway, uh, that
0: means everybody that's watching this right now, share, 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 get it out there, please, please, please. We're
1: always grateful when you do share. Yeah, and we're thankful. uh, That's an awesome thing. And I just want to say
0: thanks to the person that uh, we're actually going to have a show on or show with next week, right, Dave? Um, That is correct.
1: Um, Making sure that I'm saying her name correctly probably still not Andrea DiLorenzo, Lorenzo mm-hmm. uh, who I learned was part of a um, new age cult and she um, by God's grace was able to be uh, yeah be saved from it and so she's gonna be on the program with us and that'll be a good good deal.
0: Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. Not only that, but I found out that she was also a cheerleader for the Denver Broncos. So go Broncos, and we'll we'll have some good <laughs> conversation. So I'm um, glad that she has uh, um come to her the Lordship of Jesus Christ and all that stuff. So I can't wait to be able um for us to talk talk to her, especially in light of us dealing with uh, Christian witches and just the occult in general um, earlier so far this year. Um, this will be just kind of an additional, you know, just more of a resource um, to that uh, discussion that um, will actually probably be more like an ongoing uh, thing that we uh, do on Tag Your It. So that's the next thing coming up. Also, um, I think we've got a date now on the Freemasonry debate, which is September. Yes, sir. Yeah, so that'll be September 30th that uh, I have a lot of time uh, to develop a case. And so that is now... So we have the King James Onlyism debate, and now we've got the Freemasonry debate, and we're still working out all the details um, with Dave and I doing a two-on-two on um, on a sort of an animal rights uh, proposition. So that's still in the works, but we've got some cool stuff coming on in the future. And then in the immediate future next week, again, we'll have another sort of discussion on the occult and and things with Andrea. And So again, thank you, Andrea, for sharing um, what you've shared about Facebook and all that stuff. That's been awesome. And uh, we um, appreciate uh, your support of Tag you're It. And again, can't wait to talk to you.
1: All right, man. So you're ready to jump in today. We're just gonna run through this article on subjective morality and uh, objective morality. Objective secular morality. Gosh, yeah, secular so, objective yeah, so, morality. Yeah, so I and got, where did yeah. you find it?
0: Um, So there's a uh, website called the Objective Standard, and apparently they like to apply the principles of Ayn Rand's philosophy. So, um, you know, if you know me on Facebook and you're following everything that gets talked about on there, you know I'm thrown around, hey, I've got an Objective Standard to offer, I've got Salvation to offer, and, you know, somebody, I've got that one person, um, that's fine, and it's fun, it's challenging, it's sharpening, um, and I love it. And uh, to be able to share the gospel, um, but anyway, you know they don't think that Christianity has an objective standard; it's all subjective and stuff. So that's, um, you know, I kind of went out hunting down some things written about how uh, Christianity um, is not deemed uh, objective, but a subjective standard, and so I am lying apparently. Um, so I just wanted to utilize uh, something out of my life to be able to to put a resource out there. Um, that we do have an objective standard grounded in the triune God of the scriptures, um, and so looking out there, I found this on the, objectives, uh, the objective standards website, and uh, do, you, do you actually have the name of the author, Dave? Um, yeah, Craig yes. Biddle yeah, is Quir- the author. Real yeah. quick, I want to jump back uh,
1: just briefly. Uh, Ayn Rand uh, is uh, a novelist, the author of The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. Mm-hmm. She uh, was a Proponent of something called objectivism, um, she was an atheist, a secularist. Um, essentially, the idea was uh, you need to seek out the greatest good for you, uh, yeah. and I, some might like not like my very brief Reader's Digest version of her philosophy, but uh, that essentially was uh, she would have been a pro-capitalist right, Uh, in many ways. And so celebrated by a lot of libertarians, celebrated by a lot of people who are pro-capitalism. And we see kind of a clash in her worldview uh, Mm -hmm. based upon that idea. And so when you have a little bit of that setting, um, it kind of helps you to understand a little bit of what Craig Biddle is after here um, when it comes to Ayn Rand. And I think many, 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 High schools uh, have people read Atlas Shrugged. It's probably her most famous work. Um, I didn't have to read it, but one of my friends read it, and so yeah. there I you mean, go.
0: Not only that, but you know, as uh, you know, as me, I hang out with a lot of libertarian-minded people, um, and they love Ayn Rand as well, and they'll utilize a little bit of the philosophy and the, her writings and stuff um, in their You know, they'll use utilize that philosophy anyway for the philosophy uh, undergirding. Um, libertarianism and stuff like that as well. So, I mean, this is something that um, Christians, we've got to deal with. Um, we've got to know, we've got to read, we've got to study. Again, we've got to know the other side um, because also we have we have to have equal scales going on. We have the objective standard by which to go. We need to treat people uh, correctly. Um, they're made in the image of God. Um, we all don't deserve God's grace and he is given grace to us and therefore we need to reflect God's Graciousness at this time before Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, we need to extend a certain amount of grace to other people, and in that is knowing what they believe, studying what they believe, and hitting on those things that you can demonstrate that they're in unbelief and give them the objective truth of what the reality is: is that they are going to again um, end up in eternal conscious torment. Um, hating the God that they always knew existed, but for eternity outside of his grace and mercy. So that's why it's a, why these are important. So anyway, I guess let's get to the article itself. Um, it's, again, secular objective morality. Look and see. So it starts off with a quote from Ayn Rand, and we'll probably, hopefully we can rush and get to the page where we can kind of come back to this quote, but it says, this is a quote from Ayn Rand, says, Thanking is man's only basic virtue from which all of the others proceed and his basic vice, the source of all his evils, is the refusal to think, not blindness, but the refusal to see, not ignorance, but the refusal to know. And so we'll end up probably coming back to that quote, but that kind of just gives you a basis of the understanding of Ayn Rand there. Um, do you have anything to say, Dave? Yeah, I just wanted to jump yeah. right in
1: and say, so just uh, just an overview critique of uh Ayn Rand's uh, comment here, the idea that she is propagating again is thinking is man's only basic virtue. So when Ayn Rand begins to propagate or put forward an idea that there is a basic virtue, she is, of course, implying that there's some type of outside standard. There's some way by which to evaluate something as Mm -hmm. good or negative that is external to her. Because she's stating that this is a universal virtue. It is an objective universal virtue. And so in order to appeal to an objective universal virtue, you must have an objective universal truth that everyone can comport to. And so she already, and of course for being a philosopher, she should have known better, but she already undercuts her position. Because she also begins to say things like uh, evil, right? Uh, She says that the source of all is evil. Again, she's making a value statement, a moral statement, by which she has to appeal to some type of standard beyond herself because Mm -hmm. she's making a, a statement that is universal in its scope. And therefore, she has to appeal to something outside of herself in order to make an objective standard. Likewise, she talks about a refusal to think, and she talks about but the refusal to know. So wow. in other words, when she begins to um, uh, put forward this idea that people are refusing to think, she has to uh, demonstrate that thinking is either an objective good or an objective uh Of objectively negative thing. So even within her statement that he is basing this entire article on, we can see that there's conflictatory uh, worldviews being put forward. You would just use uh, the quicksand quotient that Oliphant talks about here. Um, But further, I want to say this too. Ayn Rand being an atheist, and I'll say Ayn Rand or Ayn Rand, sorry about that, I've heard people say both, and I need to just be – you say Ayn Rand, right? So I need to say Ayn Rand Make me the standard. Uh, There you go. So Ayn Rand, when she talks about people knowing things, uh, her worldview has given up knowledge to use the ideas that Saiten Bruggenkate puts forward. Uh, In other words, she cannot prove that she knows anything because she has given up the ability to have knowledge once she says that there is not a god. And most of these ideas, I don't think Biddle has ever had to deal with or had ever had anyone put forward to him. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. Yeah. So So there's my position on that. It's the
0: only thing is like even if you can base it on like an objective person, again, is it meaningful? Because an an atheism, um, if science means anything, we're just molecules of motion – we're bags of protoplasm governed by a random chance. We don't know if we're materially determined. We think we have free will, but we can't prove free will. Again, you have to utilize logic and all these things that we can't justify um, anyway on that worldview. Um, and so really, is there any meaning is, you know, what is all that? So even if, uh, if, person values something, we'll, I might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, um, but you know, even if somebody values something, does that make it truly ultimately meaningful, or is it still back down to an extreme individual subjectivism that can't be universal at all? Um, and then you get into the whole one-in-many problem, and that's what Cornelius Van Til was there to solve <laughs> anyway. Yeah, uh, but right we'll, on. Yeah, so we'll keep on uh, going in. So um, let's start um, after the quote. It's, uh, he says, you've heard it countless times. And in various forms, if there is no God, there is no objective morality. If there is no God, anything goes. If there is no God, good and evil have no objective meaning, and so on. So, um, so this is, seems to be like the caricature of say Dave and I right now, as uh, we say that if there is no God, um, there is no objective morality. We're gonna say that there's just absolute absurdity. So you know, but in the case of if in the case of morality. Whatever the morality is, it's just an absurd, inconsistent with itself morality. Um, So we're saying these things, um, but this person is going to now make the contention that but that notion is demonstrably false and morally disastrous. So here, again, by what standard um, is that claim that if there is no God, there is no objective morality? By what standard is that demonstrably false? And morally disastrous is the question that it begs.
1: Yeah, and so I want to comment a few things on this. Number one, his statement, there is no God, if there is no God, there is no objective morality is, of course, an objective statement. Yes. And he's already rejected objective truth. But I'd also say this, that that's not the presuppositional position, actually. Yes. We would say, because there is God, there is morals. We would reject the idea to start with there is no God. We would say, because there is God, we can see morals. We see morals, therefore there is God. And you've demonstrated that there is objective truth because that statement you would say is either true or falsifiable. At the point where you create a true or falsifiable statement and want to stand by that, you then have rejected your very own foundation. But also, here's the other element. Uh, What would be the problem with if there is no God, then anything goes? See, here's the reality. This individual, just like Anne Rand, is not going to live in a world where they're going to say anything goes is an okay and plausible thing. They're going to always appeal to some objective moral position being necessary. Something is always going to be more of moral value. They're going to make moral value statements. And we're going to see in the article as we continue to move forward that he can't get away from this position.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, it goes on to say, Objective morality does not depend on the existence of God, and that is a good thing, too. Among other reasons, there is no evidence for the existence of God which is why no one has ever provided such evidence. And B, according to the scriptures of each of the three major religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, God commands murder, commits mass murder, condones slavery, authorizes rape, and sanctions other atrocities. Um, there, I mean, there's going to be a whole lot of uh, mischaracterizations and misunderstandings um, in these two things. For one, um, the whole question of evidence comes into question. Um, what is yes. evidence? How do you look at evidence? What is the nature of evidence? Because it presupposes truth and logic, um, and all this. So there is um, there's underpinnings to that statement that needs to be argued for. So this is this is philosophical conjecture. This is unargued philosophical conjecture, and this is you know part of Bonson's teaching that we need to watch out for. So this is just a this is an assertion that has that really is not argued for in this article.
1: Yeah, so I would make a point here as well. When he says in subpoint A in that statement, uh, there is no evidence for the existence of God. First and foremost, evidence implies that there is an objective uh, law of induction. It also implies that the laws of logic work and that you can depend upon basic sense perception. When you walk away from God, you walk away from your ability to know that basic sense perception works. So you have no basis to evaluate evidence. Likewise, you reject the law of induction. You do not have a basis for the law of induction beyond just saying, I assert that it works. There's no foundation for that statement there. But further, here's the other thing that I think uh, really begins to um, at least uh, irk at me when he says, which is why no one has ever provided such evidence. Um, First of all, I would say you have actually demonstrated the absurdity of your position by demanding that evidence exists. You've Uh noted that you believe the law of induction works. Your atheist position rejects any foundational um, means by which the law of induction would work. Further – When you say no evidence exists, I can give you all kinds of evidence. We can talk about the, ready, complexity of the eye. We can talk about the evidence for the resurrection. We can talk about the testimony of scripture. All of those things are evidence, but they will be rejected. So to make a blanket statement that there is no evidence for this is uh, absurd. But here's another thing in that position that I want to really point out, and I think it's interesting as well. He says, be according to scripture of each of the three major religions. I want to point out a factual problem here. He lists Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. What about Hinduism? Um, It's evident that the individual has not done his homework when he says that Judaism is one of the major religions in the world. Actually, the major religions in the world are Christianity, Islam, and Hinduism, not Judaism. Judaism would actually be way back there in the list of, re- it might be in the top ten, but it's not as highly populated of a religion as he would want to put forward. And then he goes things like, in the next point, where he says that God commands murder. Gives you no examples of God yeah. commanding murder. In fact, he would misuse scripture to say this that. This would be in the footnotes. The, yeah, in
0: Yeah, in the footnotes, um, for example, in the Bible, deliberately drowns practically everyone on earth. So I'm just going to tell you Right now, we need to we need to use words that have meaning. Um, kill and murder are not the same. They're yes. the taking of life, but one is the justified taking of life, and the other one is the unjustified taking of life. God did not murder everyone on earth; He killed everyone on earth. You know why? If you stay within the eternal bounds of the scriptures, they did not deserve. Even they like Adam and Eve deserve to not exist anymore. Or actually, they they deserve eternal conscious torment. Um, but God didn't give it to them, and everybody that proceeded from Adam, all this posterity down to you and me, do not deserve the breath that we take whenever we are first born. And so, if God decided to flood the whole world to get rid of everybody that he wanted to get rid of that it was justified for one. So you have to stay within the morality espoused in the scriptures from the God that created reality because, again, correspondence theory of truth, truth equals reality. The reality is the fact, in the scriptures, God created reality, therefore it's going to be true to what he made it. And so you cannot go from an outside standard and then bring it into the scriptures and go, that was wrong. You have to prove your standard is the correct standard you have to base it in something that is obligatory universally absolutely um to be able to make a claim that god does anything we've had i've already had the debate on the immorality of god and i mean that was just a that didn't happen <laughs>
1: so the other thing that I would point out here is just uh, really uh, a really important element. Number one, He gives us no basis by which to say that God authorized raped or condoned slavery. in fact, chattel slavery, the majority view of what we think about when we believe slavery. chattel slavery was strictly prohibited by scripture. Mm-hmm. That was not anything that God ever put forward as a good thing but also here 's the problem when um, When Mr. Biddle says things like murder is wrong, that uh, committing mass murder is wrong, that condoning slavery is wrong, that rape is wrong or sanctioning other uh, atrocities is wrong, he's appealing to a moral standard himself. That's nice for him to say those things are wrong but he hasn't proven that those things are wrong based upon his worldview. He has to borrow from another worldview. He has to, again, equate that human beings have some type of dignity or value for him to even get to that point. If human beings, according to his atheistic worldview, according to the atheistic worldview of Ayn Rand, are at all, of any meaning at all, you have to move beyond the position that they would propagate that human beings are essentially matter in motion. None of that is ever justified. He gives you no reason for understanding murder as wrong. He just presupposes it's wrong, but his worldview doesn't even account for how that is possible. And I see that you've lost me on the on the video. You haven't lost yeah. me on the, oh, you're the, still the sound, have you? Okay, good, good, good. (laughs) Uh, But with that stated, he's demonstrating that there are morals. There are things that he is objectively stating have to be true, but he gives you no basis by which to account for his statement. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, so you you get to that point. But I I think here uh, the next point that he makes um, is where we really need to dig in on this issue. And I hope that everybody can see me and hear me out there. I think there's connection issues going all around in my internet, and that's why things are kind of going on. But uh, um, anyway, it's still recording. If you guys are missing this, you'll see it on YouTube and via the podcast. Anyway, right. we still hope you guys try to interact and let us know um, what's going on on your end as well. But anyway, the next uh, point that he makes... Um, which hey, is I'm where... seeing the video just fine, by the way. Cool. Awesome. So anyway, uh, what we need to do to where we can offer um, the alternative to a a worldview anyway. He says, further morality based on commandments is not objective, but subjective. It is based on assertions issued by the alleged ruling consensus. Thus, whatever that consensus commands, whether to love your neighbor or beat your wife or to murder unbelievers, is moral simply because he said so. That's the very essence of subjectivity. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, um, in, in, at least in my experience with what's going on, uh, at least on my conversations with on Facebook right now, even though uh, there hasn't been any sort of answer to the question on how do, does the person believe um, I am subjective or that the Christian is subjective, they have not given me the reason why they believe that. Um, and I keep on saying that there is objective morality, and this is it, because... People believe that Christianity, as far as what the scriptures teach, we only do stuff because God yeah. said so. So um, that, that's and then and here's where it's uh, figured out right here is that um, Christians we might use the terminology the Bible says so. Um, we might use uh, Jesus said so, God said so, and I mean that that's right. He has said things. He has spoken. Um, But one thing that I think that we need to really look at in our discipleship and in our witnessing and evangelism, the thing is that that it's not completely correct, though, because God is so. Uh, Reality is the way it is because God created it so. And so this person has a faulty understanding. Maybe by faulty witnessing, faulty whatever the case may be, they're still responsible for not really... Know engaging with the text and understanding the text and hermeneutics and all that stuff to get to the point that Christianity does not sell you subjectivity. Um, Christianity is based on the the objective character of the triune God. Um, And so, whenever God, so let's think of it. um, What we really need to understand is uh, when you look at Romans uh, five and whenever it says, "In Adam all die, and in Christ all are made alive." um, You know, death through into. Sin came into the world through one man, Um, and so whenever you're looking at it, um, because of Adam, all men sin. And even though before the law death reigned, why? Why did death reign? Why did people die? Why were people? Why did Why did people still get the wages of sin? They were still sinning. What were they sinning against? Well, the law hadn't come, so God had not said, "Do not have any gods before me." God had not said, "Do not steal." not covet it was because Christianity actually believes and I can say it in the uh, chapter 4 of the London Baptist confession Um, it said after God had made in chapter 4.2 after God had made all other creatures he created man male and female with reasonable and immortal souls rendering them fit unto life to God for which they were created so that's the objective end of man we were created to glorify God um, we were also created. It goes on to say we were created in the image of God and knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. So if we're made in the image of God, which gives us knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, we objectively reflect the object of our worship. So we objectively are thing are something right, and God is objectively holy. He is righteous. He is all knowing. So these are only these are only meaningful um, because he is. And so before the law ever came to Moses, um, mankind was responsible. Why? It goes on to say in, the, um, in this that uh, having the law of God written in their hearts and the power to fulfill it, and yet they were under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject to change. So the law is written on the heart. We possess inherently the law of God. We are made in his image. So this is what is the objective nature of the law. So it's people sinned against the law before the law of Moses, before you can say God said don't steal, don't murder, have no other gods, all those things. It's not because God said it. It's because that's just objective reality. (laughs) So, I mean, so this person does not know the Christian... Um, understandings of things. And like I said, it could be through faulty preaching and teaching on the subject, faulty witnessing. But then again, you're still responsible to go to the scriptures and study and understand hermeneutically what Christianity should teach. Yeah, Adam, I think you just tore that
1: up really, really well there. Um, it's kind of fun. I'm, I'm watching you and my, my uh, video is a little bit behind you, because I'm watching it live, oh, yeah. right? Uh, so, it's, uh, you know, it actually is kind of nice. Uh, I get to think a little bit more. Um, and I just want to comment one thing, and I kind of took this paragraph a little bit different than mm. you. It essentially, uh, to me, there's a very serious issue that I believe completely demonstrates the unraveling of this objectivism that Ann Rand propagates and this objective morality based upon an atheist worldview um this again uh, objective morality without god and he says here kind of in that second line it is based on an assertion issued by the alleged ruling consciousness thus whatever that consciousness commands
0: mm-hmm.
1: here's the issue yeah he in turn, actually is going to revert to that very idea, and the atheist will always come back and say, well, society decides what is wrong and what is right. Friends, I promise you, you do not want society telling you what is wrong and what is right. You do not want human beings telling you what is wrong and what is right. Human beings, by nature, are evil. By nature, we are born in sin, and you could just jump back and listen to our entire three episodes on uh, the total depravity of man. Uh, it is demonstrably easy to find that human beings left to themselves are going to be wicked and evil and propagate wicked and evil things. Scripture makes this clear that is what is on man's heart continually. Jumping back to the flood, which, again, the has already said was an evil thing, uh, God makes it very clear in his revelation in Genesis chapter 6 that the only thing that was on man's heart was evil continually. Um, we have no means by which to think that that has ever changed. Uh, in fact, I would say that in Romans, Paul uh, actually lets us know that that is the continued position. Mm-hmm. But likewise, Christian morality isn't based on what God has commanded in as much as it is based on who God is and the nature of God. And that's the Christian position, right? Um, that is uh, the idea that Christian morality is not always based upon what God has commanded, but God's commands reveal his nature. His nature is demonstrated in his commands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just wanted to make sure I hit some of those yeah, uh, in here. Um Gosh, man, we really could do a lot of shows on this. We're already at 31 minutes, and we haven't even got, got one, through the first got, page. Yeah, I've got one of sixteen <laughs> here.
0: So anyway, let's continue. Uh, so he goes on to say, objective morality comes not from revelation, faith, or divine commandments, but from observation, logic, and the laws of nature. So what does this presuppose, Dave?
1: Presupposed uh, basic sense perception mm-hmm. that you can observe things. It presupposes that there is a universal timeless, unchanging, moral, excuse me, uh, logical truths: The law of identity, the law of the excluded middle, the law of non-contradiction. It gives you no basis again from which to even assert or understand where those things come from. But likewise, I don't like when he says uh, laws of nature. I think what he actually means is uh, natural laws, right? Uh, and then that is undercut Specifically and just real simply by presupposing that the law of induction will work, right? Natural laws presuppose that things will continue to, the future will continue to reflect the past.
0: Yeah. And And so
1: uh, he discounts his entire argument there. Yeah. And
0: I mean, what what he's saying, laws of nature, is we would say, no, 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 no. That's the light of nature. That's the stuff that you are recognizing um, that's, you know, nature is declaring God's glory. You know it. Um, you have seen it. You have perceived it in the creation. So in 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 nature, you you see God. You know Him from within yourself and from without yourself. And so He's recognizing something here that He's going to distort. Um, so the laws of nature instead of the light of nature. And this is in the London Baptist Confession of Faith that talks about the light of nature in man. And and all that stuff, but it gets twisted and distorted um, by this sort of um, man-centered morality. Um, So he goes on to say, morality or ethics, and so here's the definition. Morality or ethics is a code of values intended to guide people's choices and actions. Uh, This is true of all moralities, which is a very pretty darn big statement to say. It is true of all moralities, um, whether religious or secular. Um that it's a code of values intended to guide people's choices and actions. Um, so as to which morality is objectively correct, that depends on which one corresponds to the facts that give rise to the need of morality. and I'm I've been going through this article and as you'll see it, I'll let you know right now. Every time you hear the word need, um, replace it with want and we'll get yes to it. So we'll get to that later. But Dave you have anything to put on that?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say I totally reject his position here of morality as a code of values intended to guide people's choices and actions. Um, Totally reject that definition of morality because a little bit further down in the article, he's going to equate morality with values. He's going to say that morality and values are the same thing. In fact, he's going to say whenever he uses the word values, it means morality. Here's the problem with that. Fish don't talk about morality. If Mm -hmm. fish are guided by values – if trees are guided by values, because that's one of the things he's going to assert here, then we need to recognize that somehow uh, fish uh, discuss morality. Fish think about the consequences of moral actions. But likewise, when he says um, that something is – of course he says as to which the morality is objectively correct, it depends on which one corresponds to the facts. Um I don't know what he means by objectively correct. Again, he's never proven that there can be an objective truth. He's only made assertions, right? He's only put forward uh, his um, assertions that something is the way that he says it is, but has never proven it. And that's going to be the real problem that you see happening over and over and over again. Here's the other idea. When he said that this is true of all moralities. He needs to prove that all morality all, that all moral actions are guided by a system of values that are shared within a society. Yeah, and there's, Here's the problem. And there's Not no, all societies. Yeah, go yeah, for it. And
0: I'm just saying there's no citation on that statement to like give us another article he's written or anything like that because there are some other um, parts of this article where he'll footnote uh, another article he's written. So this is a pure assertion without any backup. Yeah, right on. So, yeah, anyway, um, let's uh, keep on going. Um, So he goes, either we need morality or we don't. If we don't need it, then we don't need it, and there's no point in pursuing the subject at all. If, on the other hand, we do need morality, then identifying the reason why we need it will help us understand which values are objectively correct and which are not. So um, I would agree if we don't need morality... We shouldn't discuss it, right? Um, so, what in here is... when? Is, when is he going to tell us why we need morality? Um, we never really see it. <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of assertions. Um, but again, I think whenever you look... I think what you need to do with this is... Um, either we want morality or we don't. Um, yeah. We don't... If we don't want it, then we don't want it. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's funny. And, um, and there is no point in pushing the subject at all. But if on the other hand we do want morality, then identifying the reason why we want it will help us to understand which of the values are objectively correct and which are not, which are then reduce objectively. You can switch that out to subjectively because it's all based on wants. Um, so I know I've said in the past, um, without God, you're going to be left with a subjective morality based on wants. And if you're going to try to be rational, there is a fallacy called the pathetic fallacy, which is an argue from emotion, and that's all morality is. Um, I don't want to be killed, therefore don't kill me and I don't kill you. Um, that's a subjective social contract um, based purely on emotion. doesn't mean it's true. doesn't mean killing is wrong. Um, it just means you just maybe shook hands with somebody, um, but you can't really obligate um, anybody else to outside your circle. So and I have not seen any universal um, obligations come out of anything, especially this ar- article as well. Yeah, let's, uh, let's move on here a little yeah. bit. Um, do we
1: want to uh, cut the program now, or do we want to just keep on keep going? Keep going. All right, keep man, going. I'm with you. Let's I'm give him an ahead. hour. I'm with you. Straight up, man. <laughs> yeah.
0: So because morality is a code of values, in order to understand why people need it, we must first understand what values are and why people need them. Um, and then this is why Anne Rand, the philosopher, began her inquiry to morality um, with the questions, what are values and why do people need them? And so we'll follow Rand's approach to take these questions um, in turn. So what are values? Looking at reality, we can see that values are things one acts to to gain or keep. Uh, for instance, you act to gain or keep money or you, you value money. Students act to gain or keep good grades. They value good grades. Churchgoers act to gain or keep a relationship with God. They value that relationship. People act to develop or sustain fulfilling careers to establish or maintain romantic relationships to gain or keep freedom and so on. So, the-
1: so let me jump yeah. back real quick, Adam. I'm sorry. Uh, number one, when he talks about morality being, uh, morality is a code of values. Christians would reject that yeah. 100%. Uh, no, no. Morality is not a code of values. So what he has done is, and this happens over and over again, he's put up a straw man and he has created a definition for morality that Christians would reject. He's actually presented a definition for morality that I don't think any ethicist would actually accept. I don't even think that Rand taught this exact idea that he's putting forward here. But also he says, well, what are values and why do people need them? See, the problem is that values are subjective because they're only experiential, right? Um, There is no, again, authority by which Anne Rand or even the author of this article can, again, define morality as a set of values that guides people. And what happens is when he does that is he expands the ground. So far, and we're going to see it here because when he begins to put forward the idea that, uh, that um, trees have values and animals have values, he's expanded the ground so far by this definition that it's laughable and you can barely take him seriously much longer than this. But he throws up again what I believe is a really crazy idea. And also he says, again, values are the thing one acts to gain or keep. Again, so values are inherently inside of a person, according to the author. Values are not a subset which guides from outside. Mm -hmm. They're all inside, and therefore what is inside my head cannot be inside of your head, and what's inside of your head can't be inside of what's my head. Therefore, we can't have an objective standard. Exactly. Based upon his
0: very argumentation. So I hope it wasn't too long. I just
1: had to get that out
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. So anyway, so yeah. So the key concept here is to act. Values are objects of actions. If someone doesn't act to achieve good grades or develop a fulfilling career or to establish a relationship with God, then he doesn't value that thing in question. He might want the thing. He might dream about it. He might tell himself or others that he values it. He might feel that he should value it, but if he takes no action to gain or keep a thing, he doesn't truly value it. That is why if a child leaves his bicycle out in the elements to rust, his parents properly say that he doesn't value the bicycle. A value is that which one acts to gain and keep. So why do living things pursue values? What are values for? So this is the next question. At this point, we can see, as Ayn Rand observed, that the concept value is not a primary. It presupposes an answer to the question of value, to whom and for what. It presupposes an entity capable of acting to achieve a goal in the face of an alternative. So, a tree fra- faces the alternative of reaching water and sunlight or not, a tiger faces the alternative of catching and keeping its prey or not, and a person faces the alternative of achieving his goals or not. To whom does the alternative matter? It matters to the organism making the action. So, again, that makes value subjective, doesn't that, Dave? Not yes, sir. Okay, just, a- just, a- just, you know, keeping it, keeping it real here.
1: So here's the interesting thing, too. When he says that values are objects of actions, right? Again, so he's saying that morals, because for the author, for Mr. Biddle, values and morals are the same thing. That is the same term. He uses those two ideas in the same idea. Or he uses those two terms synonymously. So when he tells you that values are objects of actions— so then morals are something that we get, not something that guides. There's something to be achieved, not something that should direct. And that becomes real problematic because then again, he says broadening our view, we can see that values pertain not only to people, but to all living things. Here's the problem with that. When he says all living things, Mm -hmm. he needs to define living things, because according to an atheist worldview, we are simply objects, uh, we are simply matter in motion. So when he expands the ground to say, well, all living things, he needs to give us an understanding of what life actually means, because according to his worldview, human beings and animals and plants are merely more highly organized, non-living entities, And so what basis does he have for defining these things? And you might say, well, Dave, that's kind of a silly question to ask. No, it's really not, because here's the problem. And he even begins to to tip his hat to it when he talks about how rivers flow, but their motion is not self-generated. Water moves, but only by the means of some outside force. Uh Here's the problem when he begins to draw those lines. According to an atheist universe, when it is consistent, yes. we are simply responding to natural law. There is no thought except that there is chemical reactions in our brains that are guiding us down the path. That's where things get really, um, in my mind, messed up. Uh, and so that's one. Of, uh, again, that's one of my thoughts. Again, only again, living things are unique in this respect. Only they take self-generated. Goal-directed action, mm-hmm. but I need that to be proven. I don't believe if you are going to uh, if you are going to stand on the atheist groundwork and their foundation that you can objectively say that living things take self-generated actions. Because we're not. Our minds are simply chemical responses, but he demonstrates that he doesn't believe that because he's talking about morals. He's talking about values. Mm -hmm. He's talking about goals. Guess what? Chimpanzees don't talk about goals. They might have goals, but they don't talk about them. So, Yeah.
0: yeah. So yeah, I mean, again, the, the, the unargued philosophical conjecture is material determinism. So if you want the big word of the day on that end, that'd be material determinism. And I've already asked questions about that in the past and have gotten no um, at all any significant answer that would be any, uh, anything of meaning um, that would uh, persuade me. But anyway, uh, so we've got the, the tree thing, uh, objects. Um, so the objects, a living thing, acts to gain and keep. Are its values um, values to it? So that answers the question to whom. The question for what remains. What difference does it make whether an organism, or what organism, achieves its goals? What happens if it succeeds? What happens if it fails? What ultimately is at stake? The question takes us to a very foundation of values, where we can show rational morality is grounded in perceptual reality. So if rational morality is grounded in perceptual reality, I'm sorry to say, but we do not see the color red the same way, Dave. I'm sorry. Yes, that is true. (laughs) So we're not going to see morality in the same way, are we, Dave? So this is, again, a subjective issue. So if if you're going to actually base rational morality and ground it in perceptual reality, and if not everybody is seeing the exact same thing, then you've got a subjective, highly individualized, non-objective morality. So as Rand observed, and as we can too, there is only one fundamental alternative in the universe, existence or non-existence. Um, and perhaps it is it pertains to a single class of entities, to living organisms. The existence of inanimate matter is unconditional. The existence of life is not. It depends on a specific course of action. Matter is indestructible and it changes forms, but it cannot cease to exist. It is only a living organism that faces a constant alternative. Again, she's got to prove that we're actually, whatever the definition of living is, um, that we fit that living definition um, actually based on other principles that would say, like, we are literally inanimate atoms um, coalesced together in a random manifestation going about by the winds of natural Whatever is out there stimulating us to move and to shout out words into the ether or whatever. Um, so, it, but they're saying it's only living organism that faces a constant alternative: the issue of life or death. Life is a process of self-sustaining and self-generated action. If an organism fails in that action, it dies. Its a chem, its chemical elements remain. Well, guess what? Your thoughts are just chemical elements, um, and they go whatever, they, they change form just like energy does. Um, but, it's, but its life goes out of existence, maybe because it never had life to begin with. Um, it is only the concept of life that makes the concept of value possible. So the concept of life is only what makes the concept of value possible. So now life is an abstraction, and value is an abstraction. What Morality
1: is that? an abstraction. Exactly. So here's the issue with me, again, jumping back a little bit when he says that life is a process of self-sustaining and self-generated action. Here's the issue. According to his worldview, there is no self-generated action. We are only responding to the laws of physics, right? When he says, likewise, that uh, matter is indestructible, Uh, it changes forms, but it cannot cease to exist – The problem with that is he has to rely on the law of induction to make that statement. He's already rejected it, so he's brought himself into absurdity from that very point. But then when he says, again, it is only the concept of life that makes the concept of value, and I'm going to use and I'm going to insert there, morality possible. So living things are the only things that make morality possible. I would say how would that – is that true – when you cease to exist. Right? When all life ceases to exist, that means that there is no morality.
0: And I would say... There's no morality before life comes into play, and then there's no morality when life then ends. So it it begins and ends with whatever this definition of life is. Bingo. So, yeah, I mean, I wrote there, so what? There's no... uh, you know, so what if there's no, like, they have not given any sort of, uh, there's no obligation. There's no like real meaningful thing in here. Again, stardust, uh, meat bags moving around, whatever. Um, so what if somebody values something? So what if somebody has a life? There's still no meaning behind those two things. They're just, uh, presupposed, Uh, they're not going to define anything, and so they're trying to define value, but if uh, value is based on an undefined concept of life, then value still is meaningless in this conversation. So they go on, um, the reason why living things need values is to live. The answer to the question for what is for life. So let me read that again, because whenever I have to read this, you know where I'm going. I had to read it twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's two arrows I wrote and they're curved and they're pointing in each other's direction. But uh, anyway, the reason why living things need values is to live. The answer to the question for what is for life. To so what So you need, he's <laughs> you need to live for life. You need to live for life. That's called begging the question. It's yes. circular reasoning. So here we go. There's our problem. Which circle, huh? That's right. Well, here's the thing that
1: I would say again. Remember, when the author writes about how uh, whenever he uses the term values, he's using the term morality, right? So the reason why living things need morality is to live. This is going to be a key piece. He has demonstrated that he values life, but cannot provide a reason that human beings are of value or that life is of value, of any real value beyond the assertion of his three-pound brain.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I mean it's one of those things, again, um, put that uh, the word want and need. Why do living things want? Values is because they want to live again. There's no reason for them to exist for one. They just happen to exist and uh, Basically if you're in a mode of survival, which is the only kind of thing that could happen in an evolutionary world view Survival and this is what goes down like if we skip another thing like he says life is conditional and he says an organism's life is the ultimate value and so this makes uh, morality and values completely there is no selflessness in this uh, in this morality. So I guess in this morality, being selfish is not a immoral thing. Um, for one, uh, if an organism's life isn't a, its own ultimate value, it is a selfish morality. Um, so, but
1: I would say that that would
0: not ever be true to this guy.
1: I yeah, promise oh yeah. you that if this gentleman had kids. He would then have made – and there was a life-or-death situation, his kid's life or his life. The highest moral good for him then, if he was going to be consistent, would be to let his kid die and for him to continue on. Mm -hmm. That would be – that's even like – again, this is where Rand, I think, is uh, this objectivism. Um, The author here, Mr. Biddle, is 100 percent consistent with her. The most important thing is me. In other words, I am my God, and that is my highest moral principle, is to sustain my life for my greatest good, and that is the best thing that I can do.
0: Exactly. And so, I mean, but again, we've got the selfishness. You know, it says an organism's life is its ultimate value. Well, who says? The organism? But not all organisms will probably say that. There's probably some selfless organisms out there that will say then you have to prove to them, well, no, your life is the ultimate value. And it just becomes a, you know, known, a non-neutral um, met argument anyway. But he uh, says that that being the ultimate value he says the ultimate goal or end toward which its actions are the means. Consequently, an organism's life is its standard of value. So it's the ultimate value and, like, you become, the person becomes the standard of value. And then uh, the standard by reference to which all of its other values and actions can be objectively evaluated. So basically saying here, because the organism's ultimate value is its life, um, that life becomes the standard of value. And so it's that life that whatever that is, um, is what you then, you then evaluate everything else by. So this is like a completely individualistic, I'm the arbiter of truth, whatever I say is what it is. I say it is. This is somebody claiming to be God. This is exactly what we see in the occult. This is exactly what we see whenever we deal with uh, Valerie Evans and, and, and Mr. Witcher and all that. They are saying this thing. My life is not the ultimate value. And my, I, my life is the standard of value and I objectively evaluate everything from my (laughs) self. And now you got, you see a problem now because that's what people do. If this is what people, these are, people are living by this, but you're going to see them not being able to live in that. And it's going to, that beach ball is going to come up and, and they're going to be inconsistent somewhere because they do recognize the Christian worldview, by the way.
1: Yeah, and that's why this idea and this concept of morals is so important because highly evolved fish don't talk about morals. You don't – to borrow the terms of others, you do not go from fish to philosopher. Meat robots don't worry about their offspring. Um, These things are uniquely human because we're uniquely made in God's image. Mm -hmm. So Adam, I think this is probably about where I'm going to have to cut off because I'm going to have to run. So that that means – I want to pick this up, though, because yes. I think there's good things here. I knew this was going to take a yeah, good yeah. time. And I love being able to jump into things this like this, man. But anyway, so, so
0: yeah, we'll have uh, Objective Morality Part 2 sometime. I know we've got a show next week to do um, already planned. Yeah. We've got to keep that keep on schedule. But who knows? We might try to get together and throw another um, objective morality part two um, somewhere in there. We'll make it happen. Sorry, guys, that we usually pick stuff that we have to chew and pick through. But again, we the hope is, is that you're hearing things, that you're seeing things. Um, to the unbelievers out there that are watching this, um, critically think about your position. Um, so what are you not arguing for that you actually need to think about? Um, and, put, and, and put up on the table to discuss. And if they go away because they're not real, they go away. Um, are you going to protect the things that you want to protect to keep on trying to suppress the truth about the God that you know? Um, on the other side, Christian, um, like listen to these things. You're going to hear it in conversation all the time. I hear it all day. Um, the, the, these kind of ideas are in people's mouths and they actually do believe them. And so I hope that, uh, this, this, uh, objective morality, I, um, episode is a good resource to you. We'll continue, um, sometime in the near future, um, with this conversation, but. Uh, hey, and, yeah. and by
1: the way, I mean, I'll be able to get to your house, I believe a little bit earlier next week, so Great. we can, uh, certainly, maybe we can pick up a little bit and do maybe like a two part, uh next week too. I mean, there's always things that we can do. Yeah, man. Thanks, Adam. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember if you've enjoyed the podcast, uh, please be sure to share the live stream, check out the actual podcast podcast. Be sure to give us feedback on Apple iTunes. Uh, be sure to share the content on YouTube and, uh, yeah, we're just excited that you would, uh, give us a little listen, whether you liked us or whether you didn't. Um, uh, that is great.
0: All right, well, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the Tag Your It podcast. Um, any anything that uh, you want us to hit up on the part two, please email us. Uh, join this thread. Uh Get a hold of us on Messenger. If there's anything that you would like us to talk about uh, concerning this issue, please let your voice be heard. We would like to know where you guys are and how we can be more edifying in that. So anyway, with that said, I am Ray Ray. I'm Dave. And this is the Tag you It podcast solely. Dale. Gloria.